Turn in your Bibles tonight to Psalms chapter number 84, Psalms chapter number 84, and I'll get this one clicked on here in a second here, Ray. We uh, Last Sunday night, we uh, did a little bit of preaching out of this psalm, and uh, the Lord helped us with it, and I praise his name. I'm thankful for the good service we had this morning. Let me say again how humbled I am at the kindness that you all, not just today, but all the time show uh, to my family. I mean, you're just so good to us all the time, and uh, I just praise the Lord for the way that he uses you in my life, and uh, I'm thankful for it, and, and it meant it meant more than words could say to my wife this morning, all the displays of, of affection and kindness and graciousness, and uh, I believe it, it, it probably meant as much or more to me as her husband, and uh, so that was a that was a blessing to me, and I appreciate all that went into that today. And I appreciate the Lord meeting with us. And he doesn't have to do that. But what a gracious God He is. And I'm so thankful for the way that He met with us this morning. We're trusting Him to work in the service tonight as well. Psalms chapter 84. And let's begin reading in verse number 1. We'll read the entirety of this psalm, just 12 short verses. And uh, then we'll go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Psalms chapter 84, verse number 1. The Bible says, How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts, my soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my God and my King. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee, Selah. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them, who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold, O God, our shield. And look upon the face of thine anointed. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth. In thee. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you already for how you've met with us. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. Lord, my heart's desire tonight is that Christ be magnified in everything that's said. And I pray that you'd take these next few moments, hallow them unto yourself, Lord. May we have obedient, receptive hearts and ears and minds as we hear the Word of God preached. And may you get glory out of our obedience and our reception of it. Lord, we'll thank you for it. We love you and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Last Sunday night, we noticed that there is a threefold chord that is struck here in Psalms chapter number 84. And you probably even noticed it tonight in the reading of it. It probably caught your attention the same way that it caught mine. In verse number 4, the Bible says this, Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee, Selah. Verse number 5 says, Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them. Then verse 12 says this, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. 
Three times the psalmist declares plainly, clearly, boldly what it takes for the believer to have a blessed life. We talked last week about how uh, overwrought that word blessed so often is. You see it everywhere. It's put on t-shirts and painted on signs and, and, and on boards and on, on cups and on all kinds of things. Pillowcases, amen. And just everywhere that you see the word blessed. I think that very often our definition of a blessed life and God's definition of a blessed life are very different things. Some of the most blessed men in the Bible, they did not die with full bank accounts. Some of the most blessed men in the Bible, they did not die with good health. I've always sort of chuckled at that. We're all going to die of something, amen. Nobody dies of good health. <laughs> and I listen, I don't want to get there no quicker than I have to, but we're all going to die of something. In fact, I would suggest this, that one of the most blessed men in the entirety of the Bible is Job in the book of Job. You say, but preacher, all that he went through, yeah, but he had a thrice blessed life. Say, preacher, how did he have a thrice blessed life? Well, God blessed him the first time, and it was took away from him. And then God blessed him double what he had blessed him with the first time. The Bible says that the end of his life was better than the beginning of it. And let's just let it be said the way that God said it. So God blessed Job. Here's a man that has experienced deep and abiding suffering. But that's not robbed him of God's blessing. Even through the pain, God has been blessing him. And so often I think our perspective of blessing in God's is wildly different. But our intention in preaching these messages is not necessarily to categorize all of the blessings of God, but rather to consider what it requires to have a blessed life. I think there are two wrong ideas about the blessing of God, and both of them are equally damaging. Let me make two statements about the blessed life, and then we'll continue on into our message. Let me say, number one, that a blessed life is not a matter of preferential treatment. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, sometimes people look at folks have the blessing of God in their life, and they'll say, well, God must love them more than He loves me. But Calvary dispels all such notions. The Bible did not say God commendeth His love toward us in that He gave us a new car. Or God commendeth His love toward us in that He gave us a new house. Or God commendeth His love toward us in that He gave us an abundance of children. But the Bible says God commendeth His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The expression of the love of God is not limited to only a handful, but rather He tasted death for every man. So a blessed life is not a matter of, well, God loves them more than He loves me. But then there's a second misconception about a blessed life, and I think this one to be more pervasive and probably more pernicious. It's the idea that a blessed life is a matter of personal merit. People say, well, preacher, God blesses their life because they're such a good Christian. You know the Bible tells us in the Old Testament that God views our attempts at righteousness as filthy rags. The fact is, there's nothing in your life that you could do that would earn the blessings of God. Now, that's not to suggest that there are not things that preclude the blessing of God, and then likewise things that allow the blessing of God. But the people whose lives are blessed by the God of heaven, it's not because He looked down and said, I owe them something, they've earned something, they deserve this. The fact of the matter is, you and I couldn't do anything to earn the blessing of God. 
And so we're left asking this question. So preacher, how can I have a blessed life? A blessed life. It's not a matter of preferential treatment or personal merit, but rather it is a matter of living a life of obedience to God's word such that God can bless your life and that you share in the blessing of living for him. <laughs> One of my uh, favorite passages in the Old Testament is when Abraham calls the Lord his exceeding great reward. He had learned to love the giver more than the gift. He had learned to love the Lord more than the land and more than God's favor upon his life. And I'll tell you this, listen, when you learn to be satisfied with him, you'll have a blessed life, a blessed life. And living for him in and of itself is its own inestimable Blessing. So how can we do this in our life? Well, three times the psalmist speaks of what it takes to have a blessed life. Last Sunday night we preached on verse number four. And we preached on this thought that this man, he's blessed to dwell in the sanctuary. The Bible says, blessed are they that dwell. Don't say that visit. It don't say that occasionally stop by or pop in. But it says that dwell in thy house. And then I like what it says here. They will be still praising thee, Selah. And let me just stop and give word of testimony and raise my hand and say, so many of the blessings of God came from me being in the house of God. Me and my wife were talking about it today as we drove to lunch and, and we were talking, you know, sometimes when you're a pastor, you view yourself as ministering to the people of the church and you forget that you go to that church. I'm a member. I don't know if you know this. I'm a member of Walridge Baptist Church. I am. I am. I got it settled two weeks ago. Went ahead and joined up. Amen. Been pastoring 12 years. I figured it was about time. Amen. Uh, but, you know, the local church, hey, pastors need the local church. And sometimes we view it as, well, I'm feeding and I'm ministering and I'm dispensing things. But the truth of the matter is, the longer that God works in my life and the longer I'm allowed to pastor, the more I realize how desperately I need the house of God. It ministers to me as well as to you. And so many of the blessings in my life are because of my association with, affiliation with, participation with, and faithfulness to the local church. Look with me at the verse that follows. I want to preach to you on a little bit different thought tonight. Verse 5 says this, Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee. The thee, of course, is the God of glory. I'm going to read it again. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, whose strength is in God, in whose heart, that's in God's heart, are the ways of them, those that get their strength from the Lord. Why is the psalmist a blessed man? Well, he's blessed to dwell in God's sanctuary. But number two, he is blessed to draw from God's strength. Can I tell you something about the Christian life? This thing is designed that our strength might run out, that we might run straight smack dab into his strength. Paul learned this truth. He wrote to the church at Corinth about great and deep and abiding suffering. And he says this, that uh, he learned that when he was weak, then he was strong. That in his moments of weakness, of inability, of insufficiency that the strength of God and the grace of God had a particularly personal interaction with his life. You'll never be closer to God 
than when you're completely distressed out of the strength that you have in yourself. The psalmist has learned this truth. That his life, if he desires it to be blessed, he's going to have to learn how to draw on God's strength to make it through day by day. Notice a few simple thoughts will be done tonight. I want you to look with me again at verse 5 and think about this thought. Think about the providence of God's strength. I'm glad God knows how much strength we need. I'm glad He knows when we need it. I'm glad He knows for how long we're going to need it. Great comfort has always came to my heart when I read about Elijah at a moment of weakness and exhaustion. The angel of the Lord shows up. Now, you believe anything you want, and, and that's fine. You can get to heaven and find out I was right. But uh, I believe the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is none other than Jesus Christ himself. I believe it is what the theologians would call a theophany or a Christophany, a pre-Bethlehem incarnation of Christ, not when He came to dwell amongst humanity in condescension, but rather He being the arm of God, being the body of the Godhead, interacted with humanity. He goes to Elijah and Elijah at a point of despair, at a point of quitting, a place you'll get to sometimes, a place I get to sometimes. He nudges him and says, Elijah, rise and eat, for the journey is too great for thee. I'm glad we have a God who is providential about the dispensation of his strength. I noticed two little thoughts here, and before we really get into what it means to draw on his strength, I'd just like for you to notice them. I would say, number one tonight, he cares about those seeking his strength. Ha! Yeah. <laughs> I like that last phrase. In whose heart are the ways of them. In other words, God pays attention to those that are drawing strength from Him. Reminded of what the Bible tells us about the Lord Jesus Christ on one day, dusty streets of Israel, the multitudes of people thronging about Him, a man by the name of Jairus comes, who is a leader in his own right, and, and his daughter is dying, and he beseeches the Lord to come and to heal his daughter. And the Bible says as Jesus is traveling that way, and that multitude is thronging about him, that there's a woman, hey, there's a woman with an issue of blood that comes crawling out of the muck and the mire and the dust and the danger of the street. And the Bible describes, by the way, the only parenthetical miracle in the uh, entire ministry of the Lord Jesus. You say, preacher, what's that? That's when Jesus was on His way to do something and He stopped to do something else. He was performing a miracle, but He stopped in the middle of performing a miracle to perform a miracle. Ain't you glad God can walk and chew gum? And uh, this woman reaches out and touches the hem of his garment. The Bible says the issue of blood was dried up. Immediately, she I'm glad we have an immediate God. Immediately she was made whole. The Lord Jesus turns around. This is what he says. He says, somebody touched me. His disciples said, well, of course, Lord. There's multitudes that are about you. He says, no, somebody touched me in faith. Somebody touched me in need. And he said this. He said, for I perceive that virtue is gone out of me. You say, what, does that ha- what, what happened there, preacher? Somebody drew on his strength and he knew it right away. Amen. He cares about those that are seeking his strength. In the heart of God are the ways or the paths of those that are trusting in him for strength. Isn't that a fit, apt analogy for even our own personal everyday lives? Some of y'all, you get in a place, you, you, you hit in retirement age, you got your kids grown and your grandkids grown, and you finally got a place you can get a little sleep at night. No, I didn't think so. You finally got to a place where 
You're not expecting the phone to ring and somebody to need you anymore. But whenever you know there are those that are depending upon you, you often have them in your heart and in your mind. You wonder where they're at. You wonder how much money they'll have to borrow next. Amen. God in His heart are the ways. He cares. Preacher, nobody cares. God cares. God cares. Preacher, everybody just, they, they just want to sit and examine the, 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 the aftermath of my tragedy. They just want to sit Monday morning quarterback and tell me everything that went wrong. They want to gather around like Job's friends, a bunch of vultures to sort out every problem that I've had. Preacher, nobody cares. God cares when you're drawing from His strength. I see that He cares about those seeking His strength. But there's another way in which we can consider that phrase, in whose heart are the ways of them. He doesn't just know their problems, He knows their paths. And let me say it this way, He considers those seeking His strength. He bends His ear low to those exhausted of their own ability, exhausted of their own heart's fortitude, at a place of desperation, at a place feeling like a wrung out dish rag. And he watches, and he carefully considers, and he helps them in their hour of need. Man, I'm glad there's providence. And you say, preacher, I want my life to be led by God. Need him, and he'll lead you. So much of our life where we have a disconnect between us and God is because we've situated, like we was preaching this morning, we've situated ourselves in a position we think we don't need him no more. God is never closer to his people than when they have need of him. And the psalmist has learned that if he'll trust in God, he'll have the attention of God. He'll have the care of God. He'll have the consideration of Almighty God. Preacher, I want to get closer to God. Then need Him. You'll get no closer than when you need Him. I see the providence of God's strength. Then look with me at verse number 6. The Bible says this, Who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. Now, when we read that, if I'm be frank with you, it, 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 we, we, we read it and oftentimes we, we don't understand fully what the Bible's talking about. And when you read that, you may say, well, okay, they go through a, a valley and they dig a well and there's rain and preacher, what could that have to do with my life? Well, did you know the Valley of Baca was actually a real place in Israel? In fact, whenever pilgrims were making their way from the northern portion of the kingdom down to southernly Jerusalem, they would have to pass through this treacherous and perilous valley called the Valley of Baca. It is likely that our Lord had in mind this very place when He told the parable of the Good Samaritan uh, when the Bible describes a group of bandits that fell upon someone in the way. It was a dangerous place that was prone to ambush and prone to peril, but it was also also a dry place through which if the traveler had not packed proper water, they could easily find themselves in trouble perishing under the hot sun. The Bible describes in the entire picture in this portion of the psalm is really of the pilgrim that is sojourning to Zion. He goes on to even use that language down in verse 7. He says, every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. And he's describing these pilgrims making this long, dangerous, arduous journey to meet the Lord and to worship with Him. Verse number 6, here's what we learn. We learn the path of God's strength. Can I tell you this? There's certain places, if you find yourself, God will meet with you. If you're going to have the strength of God, 
there's going to be certain things that are required of your life. Again, it's funny to me that we situate our lives in such a way that we never need His strength and then bemoan and lament the fact that we don't have His strength. The fact of the matter is, in your life, you're going to have to pass through this very same valley. You say, preacher, I have no plans to go to the Holy Land. And that may very well be true, but I do not mean the geographic place, but I mean the spiritual valley of Baca that you'll find yourself walking through. Notice three little thoughts here. I think they're worth considering. Notice, number one, the tears of this path. The Bible calls this the Valley of Baca, and Baca is an interesting name. It literally means weeping. Here's a place that is desert dry, and yet it is watered by the tears of suffering sojourners as they travel this way. Preacher, I want the strength of God in my life. Well, there's going to be times you're going to have to walk a difficult path. If you want that. I mean, again, I, and I wonder sometimes if God don't sit up in heaven, look at us and shake his head and say, I don't know how you expect me to do it if I can't do it the way it needs to be done. And we look at God and we don't want heartache. I don't want it any more than you want it. I don't want a difficult path. And yet we desperately desire to feel the strength of God. But how except in our weakness could we feel his strength? Notice with me the difficulty of this path. You're going to experience the strength of God. You're going to have to go through some trials. I don't rejoice in trials, neither yours nor mine. I don't wish them upon you, neither do I wish them upon myself. But it is a reality, both literal, uh, earthly, temporal, we might say, but also eternal and spiritual, that the path of believers serving the Lord is often fraught with difficulties, trials, uh, tribulations, and things that we do not understand, and things that we can't math out, and things that we cannot explain away. If you want the strength of God, it will often be as you pass through the valley of weeping that you experience it. But let me just say it this way. It's not just that it is, it's required, but bless the Lord, it's provided. You see, here's the truth of the matter. You're going to go through problems one way or another. It's not a question of whether you're going to have problems. It's a question of whether you're going to have the strength of God while you go through the problem. You think the devil's crowd doesn't have problems? Hey, the way of the transgressor is hard, the prophet said. And the fact is, you say, preacher, I can't understand. Hey, listen, lost people have kids die. Lost people have their houses burned down. Lost people get cancer diagnoses. Lost people experience all of those things too. Don't curse God because you have trials. Bless God that He's there while you're in them. Because the truth is, the devil's crowd goes through all of those things. They just go through it without the Lord. And I'm not necessarily even trying to tell you, hey, make your path hard so you'll have the strength of God. Uh, This world will make sure your path is hard. I'm trying to comfort you to say you can have the strength of God in the midst of your trials. I see the difficulty of the path. and I wasn't even going to write this down, but it it helped me so much. I just wanted to mention it. So I ain't going to preach it, all right? You understand that, right? I ain't going to preach it. I just want to mention it. it, it, I like this. It says, who passing through the valley of Baca. I see not only the difficulty of this path, but I see the duration of this path. I'm glad, hey, listen, these things, they didn't come to stay, they came to pass. I'm glad, we're like the old songwriter said, hey, we're going through. This is not my home. This is not my destination. 
This is not my heritage nor my legacy. I'm passing through this world. I'm glad we didn't come to live in Baca. We came to leave Baca. We didn't come to live in this world. We came to leave this world. I'm glad your problems and your trials, they're not going to last forever. And you say, well, preacher, you don't know. I may deal with them my whole life. Well, don't you know your whole life is not forever? There's a forever beyond your life. You don't believe that. I don't know why you're here tonight. There's a forever beyond our life. You say, preacher, it might be my whole life. Well, your whole life is a drop in the bucket relative to the life to come. I'll tell you this. You're going to spend a lot more time. If you're saved by the grace of God, you're going to spend a lot more time in heaven than you've spent in heartache. You're going to spend a lot more time rejoicing than you've spent weeping. And weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. I'm glad, man, we're passing through. We didn't come here to stay, man. We're passing through. So I see the tears of this path. But then I like this next phrase. Here's what that fellow does that passes through the valley of Baca. He's weeping, and here's what he does. He makes it a well. What a fascinating phrase. Why would a traveler passing through, not intending to come back this way again if he can help it, why would he stop to take the time to dig a well? I see this. I see not only the tears of this path. I see the testimony of this path. Because if this man passing through and weeping and yet making it out, appearing before God on the other side of the valley, stops to dig a well, what is he trying to do? Well, he's trying to do two things. One, he's trying to show that somebody's been this way before. I know how you feel. Not in your exact trial, but in the midst of trials, I know how you feel. You feel like you're the only person ever walked these paths. You think, oh, I'm the only person ever been through. Nobody knows but me. Here's what will happen. If you'll look down, you'll start to see other people's footprints. And if you'll start to look around, you'll start to see wells that other folks have dug. You say, preacher, nobody's ever gone through this. Oh, yes, people have gone through it before. Then I would say this. He does this that he might ease the burden of the next traveler. be a lot easier to go through that dry valley if somewhere in the middle of it a person could stop and get a drink out of a well. This isn't my message, but you know the Bible talks about in John chapter number 4 how that if we'd drink that living water, it would be in us a well of water that would be springing up unto life everlasting. I can't help but think of Isaiah chapter number 12 when the Bible describes how we ought to with joy draw water out of the wells of salvation. Can I just say, hey, listen, if you're saved by the grace of God, you've you've got God in you. You've got the Holy Ghost of God living in you. I'm talking the God of all comfort lives within you. The God of all strength lives within you. There's all ready a well dug in your life. You say, preacher, it's awful dry. Well, stop and get you a drink. Because there's a place and a source of strength in the midst of your trials. But this well that this fellow's digging, here's what he's doing. He's letting his experiences through the valley be a, a benchmark, be a, a signpost to other travelers that would come later that they might draw strength from what he's gone through. I can see things, and I'll not take the time to go into details, but I can see things in my life I've experienced. And God was digging a well for other people. Things that I didn't understand what I was going through. But sometimes a year, two, three, four, five, ten years later, I'd be sitting and looking across a table at a broken individual, and now they're passing through the valley. I didn't know why I had to pass through that valley at the time. I, I, and for years hadn't been able to puzzle it out. I didn't seem to get nothing out of it except another testimony of the faithfulness of God. But 
But then sitting at that table looking across and watching them walk in the footsteps of the trials that I had been through. Being able to look at them and say, hey, listen, you ain't the only one to go through it. I've been through what you're going through. A person drawing strength from the Lord does not simply view strength as a means to make it out, but they view it as strength to make a well, to leave a testimony behind, to be able to look to others and say, "Uh, you're not the first one to pass this way. I've been this way. I see the tears of this path, and then I see the testimony of this path, but then I see the treasures of this path. I like this. It says, the rain also filleth the pools. Now, the well is that which the traveler has dug up from underneath. But the rain is that which the God of glory has showered down from above. And it didn't make a pond, and it didn't make a lake, and it didn't make a sea, and it didn't make an ocean. But it made a little pool, and it was enough to see the traveler through. I would say this. You say, preacher, you don't understand. What I'm going through, God ain't within a million miles of me. I'm so, I'm so bitter, I'm so angry, I'm so heartbroken, I don't understand it. God ain't dealing with me, He ain't speaking to me, and He's just forsaken me, and my life is bereft of Him. You know, it might be that you, if you'd stop for just a second and start to look around, you'd see little pools of the blessings of God, His faithfulness, His grace being ministered, His mercy being evidenced in your life all around you. And what you'd find is this, hey, listen, God, He's not abandoned you. He's abundant unto you. He's not left you. Hey, listen, He's leading you. He's he's not forsaken you. He's been faithful to you. And you'd find that even in the midst of that dry valley you're going through, that there's a, a precious, loving, caring God that's been ministering grace to you. You've been so absorbed with your trial, you've missed the treasures. How easy it would be, by the way. And I think about this sojourner, and I think about his traveling, and If he kept his eyes too much on the exit, he wouldn't have been looking down at the pools. If he looked backwards to a day when he was not in the midst of that valley, he would have missed the pools. Even if he had been super spiritual and been walking around. My kids do this sometimes. They'll just walk around like this. They're all going to die this way. Amen. They're going to walk off a cliff. We'll say, pay attention. Watch where you're going. The traveler. But, you know, it was because of his weariness with head hung low that he saw the pools around him. See, here's the... And it's what the psalmist is getting into. He would have never drank from the pools if his head hadn't hung low in the first place. He would have walked on to his own demise. And you you say, preacher, I, I curse my trials. I curse my difficulties. But it could be that those trials are the very thing that's making you look to the mercy of God. Might be without those things, you'd walk through oblivious and unawares of all that God is doing. I see the path of God's strength. And then the psalmist sort of reinforces this image in verse 7. I see the process of God's strength. This is a real simple thought. But he says this, they go from strength to strength. And here's what we wish that meant. What we wished it meant is we never run out of strength. That's what we wished it meant. That God would enable us to fly and leap over tall buildings in a single bound and do all these wonderful superhuman things. But in fact, the opposite is true. Here's what he means when he says they go from strength to strength. Two things. Number one, human strength is exhausted. See, you won't get that second strength until that first strength runs out. Until your strength is depleted, you won't depend on his strength. 
that first strength has to run out. Human strength is exhausted. And then here's what I see. Heavenly strength is extended. It does not say that there's double strength. We wish it did. But it says when one runs out, the other will show up. See, the truth is, and the psalmist elsewhere would describe how that God weakened his strength. And that actually is a messianic psalm, even looking to Calvary and to the suffering of our precious Savior. But in the psalmist's current day, in his current afflictions and his current trials, he's beginning to recognize that it's not the devil weakening him in spite of the Lord. It's the Lord weakening him for his own glory and for that individual's good. We blame a lot of stuff on the devil. And I wonder sometimes if we don't miss what God's doing when we do that. One of the things I like about the book of Job, I've told you this before, but I I love in the book of Job, never once did he give the devil credit for anything. (laughs) I mean, the devil was behind every bit of the suffering that he experienced. But Job was wise enough to know the devil may be behind it, but God's above it. And never once did he say, well, the devil's doing this to me and and, and demonic influence is doing this to me and, and my enemies and my foes are doing this to me. All throughout it, he continues to cry and to say, hey, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord and not evil? Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. He knoweth the way that I take and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth his gold. He never once gave the devil credit. Man, I bet that hair lit the devil. I don't know. I don't know the devil. I just know some Baptist. But I, I can't help but think that must have rankled the devil. He never once. All this work he put in to reckon this fellow, and he never once got credit. Not until God wrote the record of it. And the Holy Ghost made the devil look bad in it. Amen. He is bad. Never once did he give the... And, and I, you know, I think that's part of the secret. Job was not a perfect man. He was an upright man. He was perfect in the sense that, that he was mature. He wasn't a sinless individual. But he, he was upright. He eschewed evil. More than any of that, I think he, he learned to look for the hand of God in the midst of trials. And he didn't, he didn't look for a devil around every corner. He looked for God to be on the throne. And how often do we rob ourselves of the lessons that God seeks to teach us because we look for a devil around every corner. We're looking for something to go bump in the night instead of looking for a God sitting on His throne, reigning supreme and powerful and perfect over it all. I like it, man. Hey, listen, they go from strength to strength. I think about that little widow woman of Zarephath in the Old Testament who there completely broke, bankrupt, barren, no means, no no resources whatsoever. When Elijah shows up, she's gathering a couple sticks to go in and uh, make herself a little uh, pan of cornbread and some buttermilk. That's what it's. If you look at the Hebrew, that's what it's. And uh, no, she's going in, gonna make a little cake and drink a little bit of water. Her and her son. That's gonna be their last meal, and they're gonna sit down and they're gonna die. And the Bible describes how Elijah comes and and uh, requests and commands really that she go and. And bake him a cake first. And by the way, Elijah didn't do that because he was selfish. Elijah did that because he knew what it'd take to save this woman. And let me just let me just stop and say this: We sometimes look at the things God asks of us, and we say, "Well, God, that's too much." Uh, but the truth is, any less, and she would have died. 
The things God is demanding of us, He's not demanding because He's greedy. He's demanding because He's gracious. And He knows what we need. And so she goes and she bakes this little cake and she brings it out and gives it to Him. And, and Elijah speaks by the word of the Lord and says that uh, by the word of the Lord that the barrel of, uh, of meal and the cruise of oil will not fail until the Lord sends rain. And delivers them. And the Bible describes how that she goes in and it's time to make supper. She reaches in and she had already got the last handful. There wasn't no more left. She reaches in and gra- and then there's more. And she goes to pour and she could have swore, man. I mean, she could have swore that she had used every drop of oil, but she tips that thing over and oil comes pouring out. One commentator described it and said as she would reach daily into that barrel, at some point she grabbed her last handful of meal that she had and then she reached in and grabbed another. At some point her last handful became God's first handful. Somewhere in the midst of it, her resources were exhausted. Her means were extinguished. But the means and and resources Sources of grace met the need where she didn't have the ability. What happened? Well, she went from strength to strength. And the truth is you're going to have to, human strength is going to have to be exhausted before heavenly strength is extended. So I see the providence of God's strength in the path of God's strength and the process of God's strength. And uh, you didn't know you'd shown up for a four-pointer tonight, but here's your fourth. Look at the last phrase in verse number four. It says this, every one of them. Don't say some of them. It says every one of them. Well, now who? Well, the weary journeyer, the weary sojourner, placing his strength in God, trusting in the Lord, exhausted and bereft of their ability and their strength and their, their capability, but trusting in God to meet the need. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. I see the promise of God's strength. And here's what that promise was. Notice number one, his strength won't fail in the pilgrim. Every one of them. I like these absolute words in the Bible. Not quite a few of them. Every one of them. I love what the Bible describes about our Lord and his earthly ministry. How that he looked to the heavens and he prayed. He talked to his father in John chapter 17. And he said, every one of them that you've committed to my care of uh, of all of them. He says, I've lost none. Save the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. In other words, they're wanting to see. He didn't. God's never dropped the ball once. He's never not been enough. He's never came up short. His arms not shortened that he cannot save. His ears not heavy that he cannot hear. And there's never been a single moment when his strength was not enough. Say, preacher, you don't understand the things I'm experiencing. No, but I know God's grace is sufficient. Let me say that again because we say it a lot and I want you to understand what I'm saying. I don't understand everything you're going through. I can weep with you. I can cry with you. I can pray for you. I can do my best to pastor you through the midst of your trials. But I will readily admit I do not understand everything that you're going through. But this I know. It is not merely a cute saying. It is not a catechism merely learned by Sunday school children. It's not just a nice saying that little old ladies cross-stitch on wall hangings. It's the very authoritative truth of the almighty and errant, preserved, perfect Word of God. His grace is sufficient for what you're going through. I know what I'm saying when I say that. I know that God means it when He says that. I don't know what you're going through. But I know this, if you'll, if you'll lean on Him, you'll make it through. If you'll lean on Him, you'll make it through. His strength won't fail in the pilgrim. 
Every one of them, not most of them, not a few of them, not the occasional, but every single one. Now, you say, preacher, does that mean everybody uh, doesn't fall out in the way? Does that mean that, that, that there's no one that, that whose strength fails and, and, and they, they quit on God and they, they get unfaithful and they're disgraced to the cross of Calvary? No, there are people that do that, but those are the people that aren't drawing on His strength. Everyone that does draw on His strength finds His strength sufficient for them. Every single one. You won't try God and Him come up short. You won't test God and Him come up short. You won't tap into His strength and find it insufficient. Preacher, you don't know how weak I am. No, but I know how strong He is. Preacher, you do not know the things that I'm facing. No, but I know that God is faithful. And I know that his strength, it won't fail in the pilgrim. But then notice the final little thought here. He says this, every one of them, what do they do? In Zion appeareth before God. His strength won't fail in the pilgrim, but his strength won't fail in the path. Say, preacher, I don't know what's ahead. I don't either, but I know God's already sitting there. One of the most precious truths in the Bible, I, and I'm sure you know this, I've said it before, but I'll say it again tonight. Do you know that the word eternity is found only one time in, in the Bible? One time. Now, the word eternal is found a lot, and everlasting is found a lot, but, but the word eternity is found only one time it's in the book of Isaiah. And this is what it says. It says that Jehovah, that the Lord God, He's the God that inhabiteth eternity. Now, that's an amazing thought. It doesn't say he inhabits from everlasting to everlasting. It doesn't say he inhabits eternally. It says he inhabits eternity. You see, a, a, a everlasting is a duration, but eternity is a concept. And it's the idea of the existence of time or our experience of time as a construct. And it says this, that he inhabiteth Every single moment of it. I got in trouble with this a few years ago. I remember sitting at a hospital. Somebody was getting ready to have some fairly serious surgery. And I, God had showed me that thought. And it, I just, you know, sometimes God shows you something and it just kind of takes up all the real estate in your head. You think about it all the time. And, and uh, I, I got used to trying, I was using this verse to try to comfort and encourage people. And, and I was sitting there and I, I was talking to somebody and they were getting ready to go into some pretty serious surgery. And I said, listen, I don't want you to worry. God's waiting for you on the other side of this surgery. And they looked at me, and I looked at them, and I said, let me rephrase that. <laughs> See, here's the truth of the matter. You say, well, preacher, will God be there when I get there? God's already there. Amen. Preacher, I don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. I don't know either, but I know it's holding God right now. He's sitting right on His throne in the midst of tomorrow just as present as He is in today, just as present as He is in the past. He is, I am. He is the God of yesterday, today, and forever. And whatever you're experiencing, you say, Preacher, will He be there? He's already there. He's waiting on you to show up and find out He's enough. I don't know what you'll go through. I learned very early in ministry to quit telling people that things was going to get better. The truth is, often they don't. Not in this life. Man born a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Uh, it may not get better, but I know God will be as good then as He is now. And I know this, His strength will be sufficient. There is no part of this journey that He is insufficient for. There is no darkness that He won't be a sun in the midst of. There's no affliction that He won't be a shield 
to His people. There's no trial that He will not be a balm to you in the midst of. There's no weakness that His grace is insufficient for. There's nothing you'll go through that He won't be enough. And that's why somebody that learns to draw on the strength of God, man, they're a blessed person. Because they've learned the secret to it all. They figured it out. They've learned how to pillow their head at night on the providence of God. They've learned how to step off into an unpredictable future on the promise of God. And they've learned how to, through His strength, meet every day, day by day. And His strength is sufficient. Won't you draw from it in your life day by day? Let's draw. Let's bow our heads tonight as a musician comes to the piano. The altar's open. I've already preached. I'm not going to re-preach. I just want to say if God spoke to you about something, it's serious. He wouldn't do that for no reason. And so why don't you meet him in the altar? I I can't promise your problems are going to get better, but I promise his strength is sufficient. I can't promise if you pray, everything's going, all the problems go away, everything get better automatically. It'll all be birds singing and sun shining tomorrow. I don't know. You may be headed into the darkest storms of your life, but I know that he won't fail. And I know his strength won't either. Won't you come draw from his strength tonight? Father, bless this invitation. May it glorify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in his name.